We are continuing today and finishing up the book of Job, which I know you are very happy that we have not gone through verse by verse. It's a very long book, has a very specific structure to the book, um, but today we will be looking at the final chapter of Job and looking at um, a couple of, couple of chunks of scripture from there. From the 42nd chapter, verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God has asked, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Job replies, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. God has said, Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you will declare to me. Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And then there came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his house. They showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon them, upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, and he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hopper. In all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and his children's children four generations. And Job died, old and full of days. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord, use your servant's lips, your people's ears and hearts, that as today they are joined together, the seed of your word might be planted and brought forth with a resurrection joy. Amen and amen. Well, we've reached the epilogue of the book of Job where Job gets another shot at life. We've reached the epilogue which some find incredibly satisfying and others much less so, but we've reached the end of this difficult book, and by way of review, here's what we've seen. We know something that Job never finds out. What we know from the opening two chapters of the book of Job is that God has faith in Job. Now, it's true that Job has faith in God, but Satan has come and said the only reason that, that Job has any faith in you at all is because everything goes right for him. Let something go wrong, and he will curse you to your face. God says, not so. 
People are made of more than that. Job is made of more than that. And so we know from the book far more than Job ever knows about his situation. And that is that it all unfolds because God has faith in Job. Two weeks ago, we, we talked about Job's belief in God's justice. That if they could just have this conversation, if Job could just, could just come face to face and have a conversation with, with God, that God would understand and, and he would be able to say whatever it was that he needed to say before God. He believes that God would hear him if only he could get an audience with God. Last week, we talked about God revealing himself in the whirlwind. I think about this every time I see a whirlwind in the fall, and as the leaves begin to fall, we have more and more opportunities to see the whirlwind, this, this natural phenomenon that reminds us sometimes that there's something more behind the scenes than always what we see. God reveals himself in the whirlwind and reminds Job there are things that he doesn't understand. And finally, when we get to the conclusion of the book, Job is now responding to God. Then Job answered the Lord. This is the first response, which we didn't read earlier. This is back in chapter 40, not 42. Job answered the Lord, See, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Now, God has questions for Job, lots of questions for Job. And these questions that God asks Job are questions that you and I must ponder as well as we consider the things that occur in our lives when we consider how it is that the world is the way it is. And God asked Job, do you understand how the whole earth works? Do you know the structure of creation? Do you get the water cycle of evaporation, of condensation, and how the rains or the snow or hail falls from the sky? Do you get the mechanics that are going on behind the scenes whether you know it or not? Job, do you understand that I care for the wild animals? It's always an amazing thing for me to think of that, that there are animals who are born and live out long lives in Africa and, and die and are never once seen by human eye. There are plants in the desert that are just as beautiful as any that we garden to try to produce that no one ever sees. Do you care for the world's wild animals, God says? Do you know the gestation period of a mountain goat? And where is it that the mountain goat gives birth? Are you responsible for this kind of inner nature, this instinct of the war horse? Now, I am going to take the opportunity here to share with you the, the war horse verses of, of the book of Job, which C.S. Lewis says are among the most powerful verses ever written in any literature about the horse. Now consider the might of the war horse. Consider 
All that, that you know of horses, more horses per capita in Kentucky than anywhere else. We're a horse people. But look at this amazing description of the war horse. Do you give the horse its might? Do you clothe its neck with mane? Do you make it leap like the locust? Its majestic snorting is terrible. It paws violently, exalts mightily. It goes out to meet the weapons. It laughs at fear. It is not dismayed. It does not turn back from the sword. Upon it rattle the quiver, the flashing spear, and the javelin. With fierceness and rage it swallows the ground. It cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, it says, Aha! From a distance it smells the battle, the thunder of the captains, and the shouting. Are you the one? God asked Job. The one who made the horse like this? Or are you the one who has placed instinct within the creatures of all the world? Or are you the one? Now, in the world of Job, there are, there are two creatures that are, that are semi-mythological at least. On land and on sea. On the land, there is the behemoth. There are two words in Hebrew not counting names, that uh, are the same in Hebrew and English. One of them is the word sack, like you carry something in a sack. The other is behemoth. You read in Hebrew, behemoth, aha, it's behemoth, this giant, this giant creature. And so God speaks to Job about the behemoth, this most fierce of land creatures, this creature with impenetrable skin whose strength is unequaled and unparalleled by any in human imagination. And here's what God says about the behemoth. Look at the behemoth, which I made just as I made you. It eats grass like an ox. Its strength is in its loins. Its power is in the muscles of its belly. It makes its tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are knit together. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs like bars of iron. As mighty, as amazing as this creature may be, it's the first of the great acts of God. Only its maker can approach it with a sword. Now, there are some who see in this description the hippopotamus. The behemoth is inspired by, by the hippopotamus. Well, I, whether it's inspired by the hippopotamus or not, if you've just given me a sword, I don't want to go up against the behemoth or the hippopotamus. Uh, they both seem rather strong and fearsome to me. But that's, that's like the epitome of the strong land animal. And then on the other hand, we have the epitome of the strong sea animal, the Leviathan. The mariners are absolutely terrified of the Leviathan, this sea creature that you can't seem to win against. 
God says, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down its tongue with a cord? I can. Can you put a rope in its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? I can. Can you fill its skin with harpoons or its head with fishing spears? Lay hands on it. Think of the battle. You won't do it again. Some of you are going back to high school and thinking about Moby Dick. Anybody ever finish Moby Dick? Just, there, there, there are a couple of folks who have finished Moby Dick. I've started it like nine times. And I think I am 300 out of 950 pages in. Any hope of capturing it will be disappointed. We're not even the gods overwhelmed at the sight of it. No one is so fierce as to dare stir up Leviathan. Who can stand before it? Who can confront it and be safe under the whole heaven? Who? So Leviathan is, if, if you're into um, Pirates of the Caribbean, the, the, the Kraken, Davy Jones, this, this seafaring monster that is roused to do terrible harm, roused, roused to break things apart. Both the behemoth and the Leviathan represent the overwhelming forces of chaos. The overwhelming forces of chaos that are not controllable by me or by you. They are kept in check by God alone. And God keeping them at bay, keeping them in check, allows life, society, to flourish. So here's Job's response. Job's response after being reminded of how big and complicated the machinery of creation is, after being reminded that society is kept in check because God intends for society to be kept in check, that there are these overwhelming powers that could wash over us were it not for the providence of God. Job's second response. Then Job answered the Lord, I now know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You've asked, who is it that hides counsel without knowledge? I'll admit, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. O God, you have said to me, hear and I will speak, I will question you and you will declare to me. Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So there are lessons from the book of Job, lessons that we can take about the world and its amazing complexity, lessons that we can take about the suffering, the unfairness that we have encountered in life. There are 
lessons that we can take from Job. The first of these lessons is that why always remains a mystery to Job. Everybody else is trying to understand why. But Job never learns what we learn in the very first chapters. Job's friends say, well, you must be suffering because you've done something wrong, when in fact we know that Job is suffering because he's lived a righteous life. We know not only does Job believe in God, but we know that God believes in Job. Job doesn't get an answer. He doesn't get an answer to the why question, but instead he gets this life-changing encounter with God. And when he gets this encounter with God, the question of why is one that he is satisfied to leave unanswered. Another lesson from Job is that after losing almost everything, Job learns to live again. Jonathan Edwards talks about the book of Job really being uh, about every one of us, except Job loses everything, his, his stuff and his health in a day, while we lose everything over a lifetime. We might lose our stuff, we might lose our home, we might lose our health, and in the end, the only thing left to lose is life itself. But Job teaches us that after losing almost everything, it's possible to learn to live again. It's possible, even though we may not be able to think about it in the moment or see it in the moment, it's possible for us to learn to see a blessing when, to begin with, all we could think about is the pain or the suffering of the moment. God's given us the, the breath to be here today. God's given us the strength to get up and be a part of I heard the choir singing and that just if I didn't hear anything else today but the choir singing God has been glorified on this day we get to hear the praise of God we get to sing we get to share we get to read we get to ask after losing almost everything Job gets a chance to live again. And he prays for his friends. See, this is, his friends are some of my favorite characters in the Bible because his friends are good friends to begin with. They come and they sit with him after hearing of his suffering. They sit with him for seven days and seven nights and they're just there accompanying him in his sadness, in his sorrow. And then they start off they start off asking, well, you know, Job, is, is there something you might have done in, in order to receive this kind of calamity? And Job sticks to his story. He says, there's, there's nothing that I've done to receive this kind of calamity. And, and if you follow the conversations 
the, the six rounds of conversation, three friends, a conversation with each of them twice. Uh, it starts off, they're almost deferential to Job, and maybe you did something. Job, you've probably done something. Well, by the end, by the end they're saying, Job, you are the most wicked man that has ever lived upon the face of the earth. Own up to it. It's interesting how his friends become his enemies. He prays for his friends and knows their limitations and their understanding too. And the Lord tells us to pray not only for our friends, but our enemies. By the way, if you use the Faith Life application, I encourage you to, to use the prayer list function of that. Um, I, have a, I have a huge prayer list, and if I try to do it every day, it's just, you know, it's just overwhelming. But you can choose to pray for your friends every other day, every Tuesday. If they're not really good friends, you can choose to pray for them every 5th of July. <laughs> Job prays for his friends. And then his life takes a positive turn. That doesn't mean that everything that has happened to him is forgotten. That doesn't mean that he sticks his head in the sand and forgets the suffering he has endured. In fact, one of the most disturbing phrases in all of Scripture is found in this very chapter that we're looking at. His friends and his family come to comfort him on account of all of the evil the Lord has brought upon him. We want to sanitize that. We want to make that seem less blunt than it is. And we do put it in the context of the Scriptures as a whole. And yet it shakes us and it rattles us. Job's life takes a positive turn. And as long as we're alive and there is a gracious God, our lives can take a positive turn as well. As long as we are open to the activity of Jesus and the, the Spirit of God at work within us, our lives can take a positive turn as well, even so late as that moment when we breathe our final breath. Now in the New Testament... Trials, kind of like the trials of Job. I've been working through James's uh, devotional reading for a while, and very early in James, two verses in, he starts meddling and says, My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete lacking in nothing consider it pure joy I want you to know I'm not there and I've talked to a bunch of you too about your lives I, some of you are not quite there yet, yet either you know you sign up for your courses in high school or college and there are some courses that are, that are popular and everybody wants to sign up for them and there are others like this this suffering stuff that we learn a great deal from but there's not a waiting list to get into the class. 
So I wanted to take the philosophy of C.S. Lewis at Asbury Seminary, and it was, a, it, it was a small class. There were like 10 people that were allowed in it. And I wanted to, and of course, three minutes after registration opened, the class was full. It's C.S. Lewis, though. Who loves C.S. Lewis more than me? So being the obnoxious kind of seminary student, I went to the registrar and said, oh, excuse me, <laughs> I think there's been some kind of mistake. I can't get into the C.S. Lewis class. And the registrar says, that's because it's full. <laughs> and the only way you can get in now is if the professor decides that uh, he will allow 11 people into the class and not 10. So I took off my shoe and I mailed it to the professor saying, now that I have my foot in the door, will you allow 11 people into the class instead of 10? I got in the class, <laughs> and I became his graduate assistant for two years after that, so it all worked out well in the end. A lot of people wanted to take that class, though. We're not so interested in taking the class and suffering and counting it pure joy when we face trials of every kind, as James says. But look at what Peter says. Peter says, in this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, so that the genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Folks, that's what the book of Job is all about. The genuineness of Job's faith. It's easy to have the kind of faith that Satan mocks when everything goes well and you believe because life is peachy and hunky-dory. But God says, I've made humanity stronger than that. I have made men and women with, with such possibility and potential of character that the genuineness of their faith may come out even, even when the most heartbreaking of disasters occurs. Even when their stuff and their lifestyle are torn apart, even when there is pain within their bones, the genuineness of faith may result in the praise and glory and honor of Jesus Christ. James even goes back to Job. Indeed, we call blessed those who have shown endurance. You've heard of the endurance of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Compassionate. Merciful. Life can be turned upside down in a heartbeat. The world as we know it can change overnight. What we think of as our health and well-being is probably far more fragile than we care to realize. But God has made us. 
And God has not made us out of wimpy stuff. God has made us in such a way that we can continue to have faith mysteriously, wonderfully, bafflingly, perplexingly. We can continue to have faith even when everything seems to go wrong. Wherever you are in your life today, maybe you're on a mountaintop, and if you are, thank God for that. But maybe you're somewhere along this line where Jonathan Edwards says, Job lost it all in a day, and, and, and we lose it all over a lifetime. And you can see, you can look back at the losses that you've experienced. The question is, can you believe in a compassionate and merciful God? The question is, do you believe in God? And are you the kind of man or woman that God can believe in? That God can have faith in? To love Him, even if your world falls apart. It's the message of Job, the genuineness of faith. May God give us the strength of spirit and body and mind to be the kind of people who can face an uncertain future knowing that God is good even when we never get the answer to the question why. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.